Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Stella Ray Herself podcast. I feel like it's been so long since I checked in with you guys, so it's really just been a week. If you don't know, I went on a trip to London and then Paris. I am going to get into my trip and some solo travel tips a little later on, but I wanted to start out this week's podcast with talking about toxic positivity. When I last talked to you guys, I was reading this book called Bright Sided. It's Bright Sided, How the Relentless Promotion of Positive Thinking Has Undermined America by Barbara Ironreich. I was so excited about this book. I felt like it was going to be right up my alley and finally a book that encompasses so many of the things that we talk about and especially with learning more about mental health and following a lot of psychologists and therapists on social media. Um, I also see a lot of posts just about embracing quote-unquote negative feelings and things like that. So I was so excited to read this book, but I read like over half of it. Each chapter was just an example of toxic positivity, and that was the first book I read after Susan Cain's book, which I loved and just found so much, I don't know, almost soul in. It's a book that made me feel good after I read it and just like, oh my god, I have so many new insights. And this book was just kind of a drag. Like, I'm literally reading over half of it and there's no solution or almost explanation as to why this is all harmful. Like the first chapter is about her experience with breast cancer and how much toxic positivity went into that and you know people telling her oh stay positive like this is the best thing that ever happened to me it made me look at life so differently and just how that's not the reality of so many people's experiences you know people die from this and then there was another example of this seminar she went to you know, with basically like a law of attraction person speaking and how she she was like, I cornered them after the event and asked them, where's the science backing this up? To me, the book almost had like an annoyed tone and I just was not really gaining any new insights while reading. So I stopped reading it. But just having that topic in my brain definitely did make me think about it a little more. This is an article from the psychologygroup.com. We define toxic positivity as the excessive and ineffective overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state across all situations. The process of toxic positivity results in the denial, minimization, and invalidation of the authentic human emotional experience. And this can manifest in a lot of ways, I think. I think a big way that it can manifest low-key is in people-pleasing. When you're so focused on being happy all the time or being optimistic all the time, why would you go out of your way to make yourself uncomfortable, you know, to have an awkward conversation or to stick up for yourself. And this is the thing, when you are people-pleasing, you think, whether consciously or unconsciously, that you're coming across as just really easygoing. I know for myself, like, I would always describe myself as a very laid-back person. It comes across as very inauthentic. You know when you're with somebody and you just want them to make a decision and they just can't, they're like, oh, whatever you want. Like, it's annoying. And especially in a friendship, it's like you feel like that person just can't be real with you. It also kind of brings this vibe or tone to a relationship. Like, if someone is always people-pleasing, someone's always, like, being happy and optimistic, quote-unquote, to the point where it's, like, annoying or just seems inauthentic, it's going to make the other person feel like I can't be my full self around this person, I can't trust this person, and I have to be this specific type of person around you, like I have to match you. Toxic positivity can actually increase negative emotions such as guilt, shame, and denial. And these are all things that are going to manifest in your body if you don't address them head on. To a certain degree, I love I don't know, a law of attraction meditation. If you're going through like a bunch of stressful stuff, if you're worried about money, if you're worried about this relationship, if you're carrying around the shame of like past experiences, you know, you can say all the affirmations you want, but it's not really until you address these things within yourself or, you know, even around you that 
you're going to start to feel better. Me actually referencing this book quite a lot, but one of the things that the book Bright Sided did emphasize is that it can almost be hard to escape toxic positivity. It's very ingrained in our culture, especially, you know, our American culture, and especially in the workplace. You know, people look at complainers like, oh, that's like, why would you complain? And I feel like a lot of us, especially women, grow up being told, like, don't complain, you know, don't whine, you're being bratty. And I mean, obviously, sometimes, like, maybe that's true, but I feel like that can create adults who mask their own feelings. Oh, I'm fine. Like, I'm good. Like, let's just get on with it and feel guilty for their true feelings. And then therefore, it's going to be so much harder to find real authentic relationships and friendships because you're always going to be this certain type of person is going to come across inauthentic to somebody who is authentic. I'm sure we've all been there. You know, you're venting to somebody, telling somebody about a situation or your day, your frustrating day, whatever. And they either try to fix the problem for you, which can just be really annoying when you just want emotional support, or they tell you things like, well, look at the bright side. It's not that bad. Be grateful for what you do have. You know, that's so fucking annoying. This article also includes a quote, I'd rather be whole than good. It's really hard to remember, you know, when you are actually going through maybe an uncomfortable emotion, a bad emotion. Like, it's easy to be like, oh my god, yeah, I love being emotionally mature and working on myself when you feel good, you know? It's like, duh. But when you do feel bad, it's so easy to even subconsciously judge yourself or what you're feeling or forget that feelings are temporary and for some people maybe more than others you know you just want to ignore them stuff the feelings down hope that they go away and the thing is they will never go away and then i also want to remind you guys of that just to low-key be aware of who you follow i feel like there's so many people <laughs> so many influencers specifically but even outside the influencer range like there are motivational speakers and just people who whose entire life, like their career is built on low-key preying on people with toxic positivity. Like, well, if you just had a better mindset, let me sell you my $500 course on how you can have a better mindset and your problems will go away. It's worked for all these people. Don't get sucked into the bullshit, you know, and be so wary of people trying to charge you for a course, especially when they don't have credentials. If you have like $800 to spend on something, oh, I'm going to change my life with this law of attraction course, why don't you invest that into actual therapy, like something that's actually going to help you? <laughs> anyway, I would love to hear your thoughts on this topic. If you've read that book, let me know your thoughts on it. Okay, so I do want to give you guys an overview of my trip. I kind of talked about it here and there in my vlog, but now that I'm back home, I just want to give you guys the full tea and give you some tips on solo travel. So I don't know if I would classify this 100% as like a solo trip. It's not like I was like by myself every day, you know? So I don't know how much of a solo trip you'd consider this, but I guess it kind of was. Like I flew by myself and stayed by myself the first part. If you have been wanting to take a solo trip and maybe you're a little nervous or whatever, if you can go somewhere where you know somebody, it's going to make all the difference because you're going to have that backup and just kind of that reassurance. Like I can hang out with them. They will show me the ropes. If I have any questions, I can ask them. Not so much for like, oh my God, like I need to be with them every day or like I need to stay at their place or whatever, but just... Having a connection somewhere is just, it does make you feel safer and just more reassured, even regardless of safety. Just like, okay, like someone's going to tell me, someone's going to have a recommendation for me. What do I do on this night or whatever? So if you're able to do that, that's like a great way, I think, to get started. I'm someone who I do like to be organized in the sense of like having a rough idea of maybe some things I want to do, but I'm not going to plan every single day because I know that how I feel 
changes on the day, but at least having a list of places, activities, restaurants, it's going to be key. And then of course, be prepared, especially when flying out of the country. I always like to bring things like Dayquil, NyQuil, a ton of liquid IVs, things like that, um, like cough drops, just things that I might not be able to get over there. And just even if I'm going to like New York, like I just always bring that kind of stuff because you never know. And then this is kind of a general tip, but just be open. I shared this story with you guys. This was kind of like a solo travel moment in a vlog where I was at this, it was kind of like a really casual restaurant bar lounge. It was really big in Paris. I want to say it was called Granville. It was something like that. But I was just sitting there like in the evening working on my laptop, having a drink. And this guy like started talking to me at the end and it was so chic. He like invited me to a French comedy show, but he was like, I don't know if you speak French. It was literally the chicest like moment ever. He just was so chic. Like he was like an older guy wearing like a black pea coat and like was drinking wine and eating some kind of like deviled egg. <laughs> if you want the full story time, go to my vlog. But that doesn't mean like go to a bar and just like look thirsty like these TikToks on like how to get someone to pay for your bill. Like that's not the vibe. Especially if you are like doing something like going out to eat alone, having something like a laptop. Obviously it depends on the vibe of the place, but having like a laptop, a book, a notebook even, like a journal, it's just like a good way to not feel awkward. I feel like being on your phone too, people usually assume you're busy, but a laptop or something, you can just like casually work and then like sit back and like sip your beverage and like look around. So a little bit about my experiences. I remember my first international trip, I just felt this overwhelming and even like my second international trip. And both of these were before I'd ever lived on my own or really like gone into the world. I just remember feeling like so far away from like home. Like I would literally imagine like how far away I was and just like, oh my God, like the time zone felt crazy and everything just felt so new and like almost overwhelming and really cool, but just like so new. And this time with both places, I didn't really feel like that at all. Like I kind of kept expecting to feel more like, oh my God, I'm in a new place. And I just was like, like, yeah, I'm looking at stuff. It's cool. But I think that was just a result of having more life experience now. I don't know if I would go back to London just like to go. It was a little boring, honestly, like no offense. Everyone was very to themselves, which was nice in some ways, but also it just, it didn't feel exciting. Like when I'm in New York or I'm in Paris walking, like it feels so exciting. There's just people everywhere. They're like yelling. It just feels like a real like place. London was weird because it, it felt very American in some ways, but then it also felt European in some ways, but not enough to be like, oh my god, I'm in Europe. And obviously the UK is not part of Europe anymore, but it just was this weird, like, it's neither. It's kind of like a watered down version of both. Also, like, hate to say, but there was just no hot guys in London. I literally saw two the entire time and I remember them so vividly. One guy on the train and one waiter. There were so many really beautiful girls, but Paris, bitch. If you guys remember the OG Paris vlogs with Sonia, like, I think I was talking about how... I would see hot guys, bare bitch. Nothing could prepare me for like how many hot guys I saw. You would see like three a block. It was crazy. And it's like even guys that wouldn't normally be my type, they were hot just cause of like their swag. I don't know. Like there were so many hot waiters I feel and they do like, it was actually shocking. Like I was like, oh my God. And it was just such a big difference. So this was the thing too in London, I felt like you know, waiters and, you know, I don't know, baristas and things, they weren't necessarily rude, but it's not like they went out of their way to be friendly. And I've heard this is a thing in London or like in the UK specifically, you know, they're very businesslike and efficient and it's like, why waste time 
I don't know, with all these pleasantries. And just in general, you know, like they're known to be more reserved. And it's funny because Americans especially always say that French, I mean, probably British people say this too, but they always say that French people are so rude and like judgmental and just like, ew, you stupid American. Every waiter, every person was so nice, above and beyond friendly. It was just a lot more relaxed, chill vibe. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're not like this, but I wonder how much of it is like, I'm like a chic girl, like bougie billy is like chic, like we're not like these typical American tourists like coming in here like, do y'all have McDonald's? I don't know. Because there is that, you know, stereotype of like, an American and yeah I'm very American in some ways but I'm not gonna bring that like filth into your like French establishment you know like no offense so maybe that had something to do with it like we were just like kind of like chic but my resting heart rate was so low in Paris so it was obviously very comfortable definitely more guys the guys are a little more aggressive in Paris like on the street and stuff but I didn't really experience it that much because it was winter so I was like so fully clothed at all times and I was always with pretty much always with Bougie Billy. So I'm sure my experience would have been a little worse, you know, had it been a warmer month and if I was by myself or with another woman. Cause I do remember that from being with Sonia, like just the guys being very aggressive, like in the street with cat calling, whistling. And one guy even chased me down. It was really scary. I don't know if you guys remember that story time, but. But in London, like I felt, I literally got zero street harassment. A guy wouldn't even look at me. Except for, like, the one cute guy on the train. Like, we were, like, beeping, but I was like, I'm not gonna talk to you. I'm sorry. But something I will say, I never want to do Airbnb again. I did a hotel for the first part, and then I did a, Air, we did an Airbnb in Paris. Hotels are so much better, y'all. When Airbnb started out, it was, like, a cheaper option. You know, you had these people that were so into being a host, and they would give you, like, a little, like, booklet on, like, amenities and things to do in the area. And now there are so many Airbnbs, like it literally statistically, like there's an overflow of Airbnbs, especially from the pandemic and just when housing went down, a lot of people bought places like to rent them out or to turn them into Airbnbs. It's like, I'm usually paying more than I would for a hotel and I have to do all these chores and pay a cleaning fee. Um, so hotel life for me, please. Like I want to be a guest, you know, I want to like be provided towels and, you know, have a clean spot. I hate when you, bro, Airbnbs always feel so dirty to me. And then it's like, why am I even paying this cleaning fee if I have to clean? And then like, it's already kind of dirty when I get there, you know? Like, you can tell they don't deep clean it ever. But the hotel, it's like calm, chill. There's someone to like help you with your bags. You're like a guest, you know? You're like treated with respect. So anyway, let me know if you relate. Um, But yeah, it's like, it's just that vibe so often too of like people just wanting to make money instead of like people wanting to be a host and doing this like because they actually enjoy being a host you know it's like oh well i might as well do this and make extra money and that's just like the world that we live in but i'm sick of it if i'm going to spend my money it's going to be on a hotel so anyway let me know if you have any specific questions about my trip or solo traveling or whatever and let me know where i should go next something i did actually want to mention as well is that at no point did i feel jet lagged the first day I was obviously tired from traveling, but it was not like a jet lag feeling. And my whole trip, I was never at any point exhausted or beyond tired. And I really chalked that up to not really drinking. It definitely helped that it was winter. It's getting dark at 5 p.m. still. It's fucking cold as shit outside. On the second day, that was the only day we kind of went hard. And I'm low-key glad we did because, bitch, I had the worst anxiety the day after. And even the day after that, I wasn't even crazy lit. But I was definitely, like, the drunkest I'd been in a while. 
especially since being back home, not really drinking at all. But literally all the other days I had like one, maybe two drinks a day, you know, at dinner and that was it. And I am so glad because I slept pretty good every night. I got enough sleep and I was just energized. Um, so life hack. Um, so I did want to talk about dry January and the long-term effects of dry January because obviously January is over. Let me know if you participated. I did not because I knew I was going on this trip and I just haven't really been drinking the past few months since being home anyway, but now I'm back on my not drinking. This article is from the Washington Post and it's the health benefits of dry January. The thing is, often people don't go back to their old habits after. So even if they don't stop drinking forever, because they will have felt so good during January and while not drinking, they keep that in mind throughout like the remaining months. It also works in keeping people from binge drinking and just over drinking after because it's that reinforcing message of like, oh my god, I didn't even know I could feel this good rather than the shame of like having some external source or person tell you like drinking's bad, don't drink, like oh my god, I can't believe you drink that much. So all the benefits of not drinking, y'all, weight loss, obvi, your blood pressure drop, reduction in insulin resistance, which helps in preventing diabetes, better sleep, oh my god, yeah, better hydration higher energy levels, and obviously you save money. And one of the main benefits of dry January, or you know, just taking a certain amount of time without drinking, is it leads to long-term control. That may not be long-term sobriety for everyone. It definitely helps people in controlling their drinking and just knowing that drinking less makes them feel better. And I know I've told you guys, especially over the past year or two, I have just found that I get so much anxiety the day after I drink or go out partying or whatever to the point where it's like why the fuck would I do that and now it's like I just think about that instead of like oh yeah like having fun it's like oh my god that's gonna be more anxiety tomorrow like not even like oh I'll be hungover it's like I'm gonna have more anxiety and I feel like since the pandemic I've told you guys this too like I've just dealt with more anxiety so it's like bitch we're doing everything we can to keep this under control and it's literally true alcohol spikes your cortisol level so even after one drink you're especially if you're prone to anxiety, you're going to feel anxious. So some tips for controlling your drinking or drinking less or even stopping to drink. Stopping drinking, not stopping to drink. Find a new favorite drink like sparkling water with lemon or splash of cranberry. A lot of people like, you know, the Bella Hadid's drink, Can You Farks. I've yet to try that. It's not in any grocery store around me. My grandma actually got us this CBD, like, spirit. Well, I forget what the brand was, but that was really good. I will usually just have sparkling water, like, you know, around happy hour. That's always the time that I want, like, some kind of beverage. And I was never one to, like, drink every day or, like, oh my god, it's five o'clock, I need to have a drink. I am more so a social drinker or, like, when I, especially when I lived in LA, like, on the weekends, you know, you go out. A lot of people drink by habit or default simply because it's what they're used to doing. So, my next, like, thing will be when I go out to order the sparkling water or literally to have one drink and keep it at sparkling water. I feel like also, let me know if you relate, but if I go a long time without drinking, it's like I low-key forget like my tolerance. So sometimes if I'm out with friends and stuff, I feel like I will drink a lot like that first day back because it's like I'll just have forgotten. So that's the thing. Like it's very easy for me to not drink when I'm just like at home doing my normal routine. But sometimes in social situations or, you know, if especially if you're in that partying kind of scene and everyone around you is doing it, like, it's just kind of, yeah, I'm going to do that too. Like, you don't even think about it. So that's going to be my next, like, 
challenge. They also say in this article to manage your triggers. So instead of like putting yourself in situations where you're gonna be tempted to drink or it's gonna be hard, like instead of meeting your friend for a drink, instead like go to the movies or go on a walk or just go to dinner instead. They also talk about different apps. I haven't tried any of these. Let me know if you have, but they talk about the Try Dry app that tracks all the money that you didn't spend on drinks. And then they talk about Sunnyside, which is a mindful drinking program. And they also have an app where you can set goals like not drinking on the weekdays. Once you get in the habit of not drinking, you realize how much even one drink affects you, both like in a, oh my God, like I feel so lit from this one drink sense, but also just how it affects your body. Like, oh my God, I feel so dehydrated after that one drink. And then you just think of like the night that you took like six shots back to back and it's like, oh my God. <laughs> No wonder I felt like shit the next day. So something I did really like about London is just the normalization of having tea time. I literally drank so much tea every day and we would go to tea and I drank so much chamomile tea, y'all, and peppermint, but mostly chamomile. I usually save that for like a before bed tea, but it literally would, me and Billy both, like it would calm us so much. Obviously, it's not the same feeling as like having a drink, but it's like that, oh, it just like calms you towards the end of the day. Y'all know I fucking have anxiety whatever so I really I only had two coffees the whole trip and I just stuck to herbal teas like peppermint tea and chamomile tea and I swear that also made the biggest difference in anxiety and yeah like it's crazy you know you really have to do what they say if you like deal with anxiety and if you want to feel good like not like don't have caffeine don't have alcohol don't have too much sugar it's like, kind of annoying but um Back to my decaf life now. But yeah, this is definitely something I want to continue to do the rest of the year. I feel so good not drinking and especially this trip, like literally having the results in front of me of like, oh, this is how you feel after a night of, it wasn't even like a night of drinking, but the night that we kind of like went hard versus like just having like one drink at dinner, one glass of wine and that was it. Having so much energy, not being exhausted, waking up refreshed. So, you know, I'm sure it'll be a challenge at some points, especially during the summer, but I'm just gonna like really try to remind myself. And it's really cool just seeing how many people have realized that drinking is not beneficial at all and how popular mocktails are. I forget the exact percentage, but literally the sales of non-alcoholic beverages and mocktails have increased so much over the past year. It's funny because I feel like so many more people were drinking like during lockdown and stuff. And now it's kind of this new wave of like people not wanting to drink anymore. And yeah, it's just so bad for you, bro. Like I just always think of that Canadian study. Like I think it's literally the Canadian what is it, the health department or whatever, they came out with a new study that says two drinks a week for women is the max. Anything over that, you are putting your health at risk. And I just always think of that. I'm like, bro, like, who, like, if you're someone who goes out on weekends, like, two drinks isn't even the pregame, you know? And you just really have to think, like, bro, I just will be watching, like, club promoter stories i'm like how do they do it they literally drink every single night and you know they're drinking drinking they're like taking shots ever almost every single night it's like a lot of people have this fear of like oh my god my life's gonna be boring if i stop drinking or if i drink less or whatever oh my god i'm not gonna have any fun but it's like all the fun you had while you were drinking or all the friends you thought you made like those aren't real like it was only real because you were like not in your right mind and so the real challenge is to cultivate authentic friendships and experiences just sober like in your normal state of mind you feel like your life's boring and all you have to look forward to is drinking it's like that's a problem and i feel like that's just so many people's reality and it's just sad that we don't live in a better society where like 
I don't know, where a lot of people do turn to substances to feel any sort of like happiness, honestly. Let me know your thoughts. Did you do dry January or are you sober curious? That's going to be it for this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoy the first episode back. Happy February. Hope you're all having a great start to the month. Let me know what you want me to talk about next week. Don't forget to follow the new, I guess, is it new at this point? The new IG at Celebrate Podcast and I will talk to you guys next week. Bye everyone.